So it's only taken us 23 weeks to get through the book of Galatians. When I started writing the sermon series, I, I allotted 12 weeks. And so, you know, we're doing well. Um, we have, this, uh, we have this, this place of where we can land. But, you know, the book of Galatians kind of ends with a little bit of like a, a statement where, where Paul just makes, I mean, to, to the people there, it was very clear where Paul was going and what Paul was saying, but for us, it kind of just sets everything into, uh, like, sets everything backwards where you're like, oh, that's how we know that's what he meant, and oh, that's what he was talking about. And, it, and you almost want to go back and read Galatians through the lens of, like, the last few verses because he takes it and he goes, this is really what I'm saying right here. Understand everything I've said through this lens. And so we're, we're going to go through these last seven verses today, and uh, it's, it's just the final touch. It's the final chance he has to just write his, his recommendation, write his his, his exhortation, what he wants us to do and, and not do. Um, so let me, uh, let me just pray, and then we're going to go through where he's going with this. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you have invited us to join and partner with you, that you have expanded your promise to the entire world to every individual of every race and every situation and every understanding. You have expanded your invitation to promise to every single person. And so, God, we look to Jesus, who was completely faithful in all that was set before him to do, as the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who will see everything through until the end. And we look to him today. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to reveal yourself more and more in our hearts so that we can understand your work. And Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified in our service today. In your name, amen. Wonderful. So Galatians was written to a brand new church plant. It's only a few years old, and it was going well because Paul had planted it, and then Paul finds himself removed from that church, and a group of traditionalists, Paul calls them Judaizers, come in and say, well, we love that you love Jesus, and yeah, that means that you can become part of us, but you've got to abide by these rules, these laws, these preset things to prove that you're really in. If you don't do this, you're not really in, you're not any part of us. And Paul is saying, Come on, church, don't let that type of deception affect you. You were included by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, and that's what will carry you through, not these markers that are being put upon you. Come on. And so that's where Paul goes with this. But in the last seven verses, he gets explicit and he gets very crystal clear on what's going on, and we need to understand that. So, Let's get into Galatians 6, 11 to 18. We start off with one of the most peculiar sentences in the scripture. It says, see with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand. Maybe he was blind, maybe he was having a problem writing, but anyways, he was using large letters. 
um, there's a possibility that, that it'd been transcribed by another person and he's picking up the end part to make his point. Let me continue with the verse. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they, not, that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the the upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I want to show you the behind the scenes of the religious motivation of what's going on here. Selfish motives to place high standards. There's an interesting backstory, an interesting historical story that hasn't yet come out until we get to this verse that makes it crystal clear what's going on. We have, um, <clears throat> we have the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire is ruling Galatia. Now, empires came and came and went and they were they increasingly grew in size but when we go back to the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire they dealt with their conquests in a very different way than the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire did the Assyrian and the Babylonian Empire would go in and they would occupy a place by force and they would exile the people of the place and the reason they did that was to assimilate the cultures into their monoculture. We've got Assyria and Babylon creating a monoculture. You will be Assyrian, you will be Babylonian, and the way we will eradicate your history is by spreading you out throughout the empire so you don't have connection points. Well, the Jewish people, when they were spread out throughout the Babylonian Empire, when Judah was defeated, they actually continued with their identity markers. They met in households that, that, that developed into a synagogue, and they met in households and stayed faithful to the to the promises of Abram. They read about the Torah, they had it written down, and they continued to work towards the faith of God restoring the people. So the Assyrian Babylonian model of monoculture didn't work. It didn't assimilate the Jewish people of Israel. And so when Alexander the Great comes on the scene and he starts taking over the split up um, what became the Persian Empire and he starts defeating it and, and building a new empire, the Greek Empire, there was a different philosophy of empire building. And the philosophy was to allow people their cultural religious identity markers, to allow them their language, to allow them their, their understanding. 
And the Roman Empire worked in the same vein where they allowed for if you were conquered, you already had religious expectations, you had a religious culture, we are going to honor that. We're going to ask you or demand you to also pay homage to the empire or to the emperor. And so there was an appeasement that said, we're not going to make you into a monoculture. You can have your religion. We don't really care. You just have to worship the emperor as well. You've got to pay your taxes. You've got to do everything for the emperor. Okay, well, that is really an interesting piece because what happened here is Rome, when it came into the area of Israel and Jerusalem, they already had their established rule. They were allowed to continue. They were allowed to continue all throughout the diaspora. Wherever Jews were spread in the empire, they were allowed to continue worshiping and meeting and having their synagogue and doing everything according to the way that they had learned. This was a great privilege, but also needed to be understood. Enter Christianity. Enter the belief in Jesus being the Lord of the world because of the resurrection, the faithfulness of Jesus. God has now opened the promises to everybody. Paul has been saying, you put your faith in Jesus, put your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, you're included. Yay. The problem is, this is starting to look like an outlawed new religion. You're not allowed to develop a new religion, you're only allowed to maintain a cultural identity marker that pre-existed domination. And so, what is happening here is the Jews of the synagogue are saying, you're not like us. You're not the same as us. Wow. Okay. So if they're not the same as you, and they're different than you, if the Jews start saying, you're not part of the synagogue, then when the Christians meet, they are a new religion which is not allowed in the Roman construct. Well, now these Christians are subject to persecution. Look at our text. It says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Oh, so to be in, you need to obey the law of circumcision. You need to obey the laws. You need to be able to say, yes, I've done everything according to the Jewish traditions that preexisted the Roman domination. But if you don't do those things, you're out and you face persecution for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised themselves don't keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. Wow. So the Hellenistic Empire was, or, sorry, we've got this, this piece where the temple still functioned. You've got this whole time when, when Jewish world was still okay and the Christians are starting to be separated out and exposed to persecution. We've got the path of least resistance. 
We have religious freedoms here in Canada. We are privileged to have these religious freedoms. And, and so, as Paul is arguing, you know, people who, who want to rely on religious freedoms are trying to make a good showing and trying to avoid persecution so they might not be persecuted for the cross. Um, my wife just posted on Slack, that kind of sounds like today's culture. We honor all the religions, and yet we will yell on your behalf if, and, and if folks don't honor it, but you need to subscribe to the current, uh, the current popular culture's moral system. Absolutely. So we've got the, oh yeah, you can have religious freedom, but you need to have this cultural moral system that we will now impose so that you're not being pushed against. Wow. Really does sound like the same parallel ideas. And, and the path of least resistance that we're all prone to find, the path that, that Jesus is leading us is not always the path of least resistance. You know, are we, are we trying to avoid discomfort or our superficial threat of persecution when we say, I want everything I can out of Sunday morning service? Are we trying to avoid discomfort by avoiding evangelism? Are we trying to avoid discomfort by saying, yeah, okay, I'm going to practice my Christianity in this very small private sphere, but out in the world, nobody will know that I'm a Christian because that would make me uncomfortable. The path of least resistance is the easy path to take, the one that allows me to keep on this type of religious peace and make a good showing, but really doesn't, doesn't push very hard against the structures of the world around us. Are we following the leading of the Holy Spirit? When, when Paul says in verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. At first I was confused because I was like, what is he talking about? What's Paul saying when he says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus? What's he saying? He's saying, I didn't follow the path of least resistance. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. He wasn't saying, look at me, I'm circumcised. I followed these rules to, to make me included in a pre-existing religious set. But he's saying, no, I stepped outside of that comfort zone and I'm paying the price for it. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. The very marks of Jesus. Paul refused to let his young church step into a place of complacency. He said, no, you need to continue to put your faith in Jesus even if it means you're kicked out of the safety of your church structure, your synagogue. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. Circumcision is not helping you here. Obeying a preset of laws and understandings is not helping you here. You need to place your faith in Jesus. So recognizing that faith in Jesus and total inclusion into the promises of Abraham and Israel is based on the faithfulness of Jesus, Paul separates himself from the protection of 
of the pre-existing religious system, and he knows that he is not going to take the path of least resistance. This applies really quickly when we talk about what's happened at COVID. Our church is separated all out. Why then, if we're not supposed to take the path of least resistance, has Pastor Rob allowed us to not be in church service for 15 months? Why then are we not rebelling against the government and just doing it our way? Why have we switched our structures? Why do we just take the path of least resistance? And there's an important discussion to be had, and it's being had nationally in the church, and it's, and it's being had in prayer, and it's being had in a place where we need to understand who we are and what our call is and what we should be fighting for and what we should not be fighting for. And I want to go into this a little bit today because it's so important. Look, if you fit in the system You can't fix the system. If you fit, you can't fix. And so what we are doing is God has called us to be a people who fix the right things and don't focus on other things. We don't get distracted. We live in the faithfulness of Jesus. And so I want to outline what we we are fighting for and what we're not fighting for. Here's why we followed public health regulations in the past year, what we're fighting for. I am willing to lead us into persecution for the sake of leading other people to Jesus. I am willing to face persecution for the sake of leading other people to Jesus. We're not at that part, but it means that if our actions are going to benefit others and bring them to Jesus and allow them to join with us in God's grand mission, if the world decides that it hates those actions, then We will face resistance, but we will continue to do for it. We will continue to do that. That means we will do things that will lead people toward Jesus, that will be focused on showing the incarnational love of Christ to people who do not yet know Jesus, who have not had a revelation of Christ. If we push in that direction, if we show mercy and compassion towards those who do not know Christ, then we will fight for that. If the world turns against us and says, who, how dare you do things of love and service and action towards other people? How dare you? We will not stop doing it. What I will not fight against, and what I will not lead our church to fight against, is I'm not fighting for our rights to be upheld by our government. 
Not fighting for someone that places our needs and our comforts of our religious systems as what needs to be protected. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. I'm not fighting for, um, for meeting in person right now. Because, because we can rest in the presence of God in our homes. And we can be encouraged to work through this time. And we have been. We have been faithfully meeting and loving each other through Slack and through coffee visits. And yes, it is definitely a sacrifice on our part. My hope is that as a church, we can learn to love our neighbors. See, if we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live but Christ lives in us, then we give up our rights for the benefit of others. And what we, where we need to be challenged, where we need to go, is we need to start to say, in which ways are we leading people to Jesus through love and service of the other? How are we doing that? We are experiencing the exact same hardship that our neighbor is experiencing. But we have an added plus of knowing that our community loves each other. We have an added plus of having the support of Promise Church as a community. But our neighbors are struggling and suffering in all the ways we are. They suffer with the same feeling of heaviness and darkness around them. They suffer with the same life adjustments that they've now been isolated. In our Adopt-A-Street prayer time, God revealed to so many of us that our neighbors and our neighborhoods aren't even connecting with each other. There is great need for people to start to connect with each other. I'm willing to go out and lead us into fulfilling the needs of our community before we fulfill our own needs. I'm willing to say we need to show love. We need to show love. I have a deep desire for Promised Church to become the social backbone of our community of our streets. I want to see us rise and take our place as the leaders in our townships, not for the sake of power, but for the sake of service. These are lofty goals to fight for. We are constantly working on means to make work accessible to everybody. We are working on refining promise grants to make them more user-friendly and even more effective, that we can get out into the communities and show the communities that Jesus loves them with absolutely no strings attached. The promise of God is open to all humanity. Let's go and share with people through experiences that God loves them. We've done Adopt-A-Street, and we will do it again in the right time. And we do these things because it directs our attention off of ourselves and onto the very people that Jesus died for. We're doing door knockers, as you saw Danielle talk about them, and they simply invite people to experience this church service right here, and they say, come, come and meet with Jesus, the Savior of the world. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. 
We're, we introduce, we're introducing next week a rapid response team, and you'll hear more about that next week. I'm so excited about it. We're going to be unveiling a new initiative in the next couple weeks that's going to help us build into community as restrictions lift. We're going to be building into communities around us. We'll be, we'll be encouraging the action for the benefit of the other even if there is no response. Because we have been given the great love of Jesus and it builds up in our heart and it must go out. That's what I'm willing to fight for. Not our comforts and our conveniences, but our heart moving in a right direction towards the very people that Jesus loves. Galatians 6.12 It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul's gospel would qualify as a new religion. And so if Christianity was going to be something other than Judaism, it would have been outlawed. If promised church is going to be something other than this basic religious structure where we come and we gather, perhaps maybe one day we find ourselves outlawed. But I don't think so. I actually believe that when the church steps into the role in Canada as it is and starts to be the social backbone, sharing the very inclusion and love and the invitation into discipleship that God has offered to all people, when we do that in experiences of love and when we do that working side by side with non-Christian and Christian and we come together and we do these things, I believe that people will look at the gospel of Jesus, which is you are welcome into the very presence of God. God with us, God making all things right. I believe that there will be acceptance to the gospel in a way that we haven't seen for a very long time. And so, we will continue on. We need to, Paul is saying we need to face reality that Jesus calls us to something bigger and it's different than our norms. Christianity cannot survive inside the four walls of a church for another 40 years in Canada. It won't survive because it's not on mission. To be on mission is to be a church that actually loves and cares and engages with people that are not part of its membership clan. And I will lead this church in that direction as the Holy Spirit empowers and my prayer is that you come along and that we start to be more to this town than a Sunday service. God's calling us to do these things. There are seven things I want to share with you that God is calling us to do. The first thing God calls us to give up our rights because I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. I don't fight for my right. We are called to put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, not the religious structure of the day. 
When we put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, God will call us together as a community, and it will work. And we will still have Sunday services as soon as restrictions allow, and we will continue to be online. But we will put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. We will mark inclusion to the community as radically open. Anybody who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ is in. Nobody is more in than the one who is just in by faith and nothing else. You are in. You are included by putting faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. We will acknowledge the acceptance of the Spirit of God by faith because God, because because God's Holy Spirit comes in you, dwells inside of you when you say, yes, Jesus, I accept your faithfulness. God comes and lives inside of you, and so we will acknowledge that. And five, we will live by the Spirit, allowing God to take His time to transform us. The sixth one is we will accept others and be gracious to them, especially after they've been caught in something that somebody might judge as wrong. We will graciously restore them in love. And we will, seven, not give up in doing good. We cannot give up in doing good. We cannot let the world go as it might with the attitude of, oh, well, the world's just going off hell in a handbasket. We cannot take our eyes off of the very people that Jesus came and died for. We must focus and say, God, in what ways will you lead me into helping build and rebuild and bring healing to community around so that they can know the love of Jesus that I have found. In what ways will we do this? We will not be a church that simply wants to make a good showing. But we will be a church that maybe will be called to bear in our bodies the marks of Jesus. As a church, we will be a reflection of Jesus as we attempt to do these things. Guys, it is so radical to think of a church being a social backbone of a community. It's so radical because it's not been done for many years in our area and the way that we're thinking about it. We have examples before us, though, in our history that we can look to, where the church has combined the help and the gospel. Where the church has come alongside and stepped into places of need. And I tell you, in suburban Ontario, the greatest place of need is for a sense of connectivity, a sense of trust in community, a sense of people coming together. The greatest need we have is to be loved by another person instead of torn down. And so I encourage us to pray for Promised Church. Our next sermon series is actually going to be a sermon series on mission and rest. You cannot do mission without rest. And if you just rest, 
you never fulfill what God has called us to. So our next sermon series is moving in that direction, and God is leading this church. I'm sorry I did not engage with Slack much today. The message was a very challenging message in so many ways, but I believe that God is calling this church and preparing this church for great works. And you know what? There might be hardship in them, but there's also great joy in them. We will be surprised at what comes of our efforts. Sometimes things that we think will be hard will actually be easier than we thought. Sometimes we th- the things that we think might be easiest might be the hardest. So let's pray. Let's pray for Promised Church and for our unity. God, as we move forward through ridiculous times, we see a greater need than our own feeling of a need to get together, with th- which thankfully we're going to be able to get together in a couple weeks at the Brickell's house. But we see a greater need in our community. We see a lack of love, a lack of connectivity, a lack of, of care for neighbors. We see this, this social strain around us. And God, we ask you to empower us to be agents of healing. To actually show your love in person. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us, that we would be filled with the Spirit, so the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and all these other things would come out of us, expressed to each other and our neighborhoods. There is no law against those things at this point. And so, God, I pray that we would be a community that can be bold, that can be organized, that can step out in unity and that we can reach a need with a message that God has not abandoned us. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would be a people that genuinely serve and love in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, Promise Church, and I know this has been a crazy time. I look forward to being able to gather again. I hope to see maybe 150 people at the Brickell's house. We have that potential easily, but I invite you to be there and your family to be there, and we will follow the regulations because this isn't about us, but it's a place where we can reconnect, and so we will pray that you will engage that And we'll see you soon. We'll see you here next week for our forum discussion. Really looking forward to it because some great stuff has come out. And uh, God bless you. Have a great week.